Welcome to Right Now Workshop Podcast, where you can write a book and change the world. I'm your host, Kitty Buholtz, and this is episode 228, After the First Draft, an interview with Ali Mashadi coming to you on Thursday, December 24th, 2020. Merry Christmas! It's only a few hours away. <laughs> I'm so excited. I love Christmas. It's one of my favorite times, even though, um, yeah, we bought everything online this year. We both know exactly what the other person is uh, getting us. And I'm still excited because I still love Christmas and I love the lights and I love the possibility that just maybe it might snow where we live. Uh, even though we live in Sweden, we live in the part that's near the Baltic Sea. So the air is a lot warmer and it hardly ever snows. But we, we had snow a few weeks ago, so fingers crossed, maybe it'll snow tomorrow. Then I'll be super duper happy. But in any case, there will be plenty of Christmas cookies and Christmas ham and um, writing too. Actually, John and I decided that even though it's Christmas vacation, it will be fun to just continue with our little writing habit that we've got going here. So great episode coming off the back of NaNoWriMo after the first draft. What do I do now? And Allie talks about all sorts of great tips, things that will really genuinely help you to like do this, this, this. Um, this is a great episode for you. It's a great episode for anybody who got to the end of the first draft and was like, oh my gosh, first of all, I need a break. And then after that, I need to get back to work on it. So I am sure you are going to find lots of great tips. If at the end you're like, you know what? I am kind of interested in what a book coach could help me to do better. Like how could I get this done better or faster or in what way could a book coach help? Reach out to me. I'm happy to talk to you about it and let you know how it would work if you wanted to work with me. Um, also, you could just Google book coaches if you're like, I like you as a podcaster, Kitty, but I don't know if I really want to work with you uh, all the time, like on a permanent, not permanent, but anyway, if you have that idea in your head, you can just Google book coaches in general. I would be totally okay with that. The whole point is to finish our books, make sure that they are the best story that we could tell, the best nonfiction book that we can put together and that they really move and affect our audiences in the way that we had hoped for. I mean, that's, that's what we're working towards, right? <laughs> so whatever it takes. And Allie is going to give you a lot of great advice. This whole month is our mini season on editing. So we've already had three more episodes, the last three episodes, all on editing. Then today and next week as well, Lisa Cron will be here, the author of Wired for Story and Story Genius, talking some more about editing. And it's going to be uh, a really interesting dichotomy uh, listening to Allie and I talk about all the things that we like about about NaNoWriMo uh, in this episode and next week's episode, how Lisa says that it's the worst possible thing that you can do for your book. And I'm like, okay, well, all of her arguments made sense to me too. <laughs> so it will give you a lot of food for thought. And definitely the end of the year is a good time for food for thought, right? Especially having to do with something that you love, like your books and your writing. So I'm sure that you will find it all helpful. Remember that uh, next week's episode will be the last episode of the year and the last episode of this season. So if you remember, I am starting to put the podcast into seasons for 2021, which means that the next episode will be starting again on Thursday, January 28th. And then we'll keep on running from there for a season, be off for a few weeks, have a season, be off for a few weeks, that sort of thing. So should be very interesting and fun. And I've got all sorts of great guests lined up. I'm so excited to share with them with you. 
And I think that was the last thing that I wanted to tell you. Yeah, basically, happy holidays. I hope that you are having some nice relaxing time off, that you're eating something absolutely fabulously delicious, and that the weather is whatever you expected and wanted it to be for whatever hemisphere you live in and whatever part of the world that you live in. Um, to my friends in Australia, hello, happy summer, happy summer vacation. And uh, to my friends in Michigan, please enjoy the snow for me because I won't have that much. And my friends in California and Arizona, I don't love that weather for Christmas, but I do love the weather that you're having right now. So please enjoy it for me. <laughs> There's something to be liked about everything, right? All right. So without further ado, I've been saying that a lot recently. Have you noticed that? I'll say it all like almost all the time now, right before the guest. Let me say it differently this time. So let me stop talking so that now we can listen to Allie talk. Happy writing, happy Christmas, and we will get right back into the interview now. Today's guest is Allie Mashadi. Allie is on a mission to make great books happen and help authors reach more readers. A best-selling author and expert publishing consultant, Allie has served both small and big five publishers, including Simon & Schuster, where she acquired and edited books for the Touchstone and Fireside imprints. Her client list includes authors publishing with such companies as Simon & Schuster, Penguin Random House, Rodale Inc., Chronicle Books, Kaplan Publishing, Sourcebooks, Sunrise River Press, and Hay House, as well as independently published bestsellers. Allie leads a diversified team of professionals who specialize in helping serious authors fulfill their dreams of publishing success through writing, publishing, and selling more high-quality books. Get free gifts and learn more at thewritersally.com. Welcome, Allie. Oh, thanks so much for having me, Kitty. It's my pleasure. Oh, I'm so glad you're here. I've been excited to have you on. You and I have started getting to know each other in another life, and it's been super fun. So welcome. <laughs> yeah, super fun. Awesome. Well, so listen, um, I figured the best way to start this episode. So this is what we're doing. We are talking, you and I are talking in November, but the episode's going to come out in December. And my thought was we spend... Uh, there's hundreds of thousands of people who spend a ton of time and energy during November writing as fast as I can so I can write a book in a month and be part of this, you know, big group of people who are doing this thing. And I have to admit, I find it very fun. I'm a total sucker for gamification. So um, I, I <laughs> went and looked to see in Nano, like, what are all the badges that I can earn and which ones am I determined to earn? So, you know, the first day badge, two days in a row badge, three days in a row seven days in a row. There was like five of them. I'm like, I'm going to get these five badges for sure. And then if I like, feel like, um, because I have done nano before where, uh, I just wrote, 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 no matter what, even if I was, cause people would say, just even type, I don't really know where the story's going, but, and then just brainstorm on the paper. And I, <laughs> had the worst time ever editing those books. It was, it was terrible. I was like, I don't know where to start cutting and what, like how much of this needs to be deleted, how much needs to go in the notes section. I'm like, this story doesn't make any sense by the end of the month. 
<laughs> so I figured a month of talking about editing is only fair if we're going to do a whole month of like, just write as fast as we can, which does have its benefits. So I, I do feel like there's a lot of pros and cons. So, so with that being our, uh, our general um, picture frame, <laughs> let's start by just telling people a little bit more about you, your background and the business that you're in right now. Yeah, sure. Um, so I, I will start off by saying I am a, a lifelong dedicated book nerd and word nerd. Um, I've always loved reading. I've always been a writer myself, um, as well as wanting to be in the industry as an editor. I, I've, I've always been a writer. I went to school, uh, did joint degrees in English and creative writing all the way along. Um, so I like to say that I, I really experienced both sides of the desk. And I was extremely fortunate um, I mean, in academic, uh, in the academic sense, but also in, in the professional sense, where I had a lot of experience. I got a lot of uh, great internships. I worked for a very small regional publisher in upstate New York when I was in college that gave me a lot of great experience. And I was extremely fortunate to get a very coveted position at one of the big five at Simon & Schuster um, when I graduated right out of school, which wow. at the time, actually, yeah, uh, I, I was very conflicted because I was really looking forward to having a summer off <laughs> after, <All right. laughs> after finishing college. Um, you know, everyone would always say about publishing, uh, I'm sure it's still true, but at least at the time, you know, the jobs are extremely competitive and um, everyone said, don't, you know, expect it to take a while. So I expected it to take a while and I thought <laughs> I would have a nice vacation and I'd have some time off. Um, and instead, uh, I, I got actually very, very lucky, and my resume landed on uh, the desk of an HR person who was very actively interviewing for a new position. And so I went down and had my interview during finals week, and I was hired right away, um, and wow. I started with no no break at all. <laughs> so, oh. so, so did yeah, you get that's hired that's as an intern, or your internship became a job right away after? No, I didn't intern at Simon & Schuster. I interned at the smaller publisher. Um, the, the Simon & Schuster job was a job. I was hired was as an editorial job. assistant. Nice. Yep. Um, so in publishing was very much structured as sort of like an apprenticeship. So you come in as a young person and you are an assistant, you are an editorial assistant, and you're paired with a more senior editor. And I had the, um, I had the fortune of being an assistant to two really wonderful ladies, two editors, who they themselves had just been promoted and I was their first assistant nice. um, and working for two people uh, was as hard as you can imagine. It was a lot of work, but it also meant that I got exposed to a ton of uh, just a ton of projects and experience and insight. And um, both of them worked on different kinds of books and were, you know, different kinds of people. And I, I really just learned so much from that job, just real trial by fire kind of stuff. <laughs> And, uh, and then one of them went on maternity leave and I ended up managing a lot of her list while she was gone. And when she decided not to come back, um, I took over a lot of her projects. So I, I really had a trial by fire. And um, wow. I was ex also extremely fortunate to be in a department at the time when I first worked there it was the adult trade paper division. It wasn't its own imprint yet. And uh, the leadership was very supportive of its young people. It, it really, they encouraged us. We were invited to all of the meetings. There was no kind of like elitism of like, oh, you're just an assistant. You know, like they wanted us to be involved in all parts of the process. They wanted us to learn. Um, you know, they wanted us to take on as much as we could handle. And I, I actually ended up acquiring my first book before I, I had been there for a year. 
It was wow. like before my first anniversary. So yeah, just uh, just wonderful, incredible all around, um, great experience and uh, a really great place to to learn and, and build an early career. And so I was there and and started to build my list and moved up and um, and eventually uh, a series of, of unfortunate events happened in the world. We had the dot com bust, yeah. and then we had nine eleven, and uh, New York and and publishing was no exception. Just kind of shrank. A lot of industries were shrinking and um, a a lot of positions were eliminated. Uh, The opportunities really became reduced and the burden on those of us who were left uh, was increased because of course we were still publishing the same number of books with, you know, half the staff. So um, it just became a very difficult situation. And I thought, well, you know, uh, I'm almost finished with my master's degree, which I've been doing part-time and I'm feeling kind of stuck, you know, maybe, maybe now's a good time to try finishing school and doing some freelancing. All right. So that's what I did. I went off and I, I finished my degree and I did some freelancing on the side and I I fully intended to come back into mainstream publishing. I figured, you know, give it a year, a year and a half, things will start looking up again. There'll be more opportunities for movement. Um, And instead I just, I loved what I was doing so much. Uh, I was freelance editing uh, first at the time I was a developmental editor and um, I just, I just love it. So I kept doing it. And that was almost 20 years ago. Wow. So you've been working on your own this whole time. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I haven't been on my own. I'm sorry. I'm giving the wrong numbers. I've been in the industry more than 20 years. I've I've been on my own a little bit less than that, but, uh, but yeah, it's been a long time. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And obviously, I mean, you liked it enough to continue working on your own, but then this is very exciting and interesting to me. You actually built up a company that has several, I don't even know how many, uh, it sounded like quite a few editors who work under you and you're the CEO of your company. Tell us a little bit yeah, about the writer's that. ally. Yeah. Yeah, sure. Um, so, you know, when maybe you don't know some people who have uh, anyone who has ever worked independently knows um, that, especially when you first starting out, you say yes to a lot of different kinds of things, because of course you're trying to build a business and make a living. Um, so I did a lot of developmental editing and then I started to try other things. I did some content writing and that uh, inevitably led to me doing some uh, book doctoring and some ghost writing. And the more ghostwriting and book doctoring that I did, book doctoring is um, when a, a publisher or an agent has a project under contract usually, and the project comes in and it's, it just needs way more help than, than they can give it. Usually it's the case where an author needed a ghostwriter and didn't have one. Okay. Uh, so they'll bring someone in to sort of redo the manuscript. Um, so I was doing a lot of that kind of work, the sort of big project type stuff. And I found that I was booking further and further into the future, you know, months and months ahead. And I reached a point inevitably where people didn't want to wait anymore. Yeah. You know, they really wanted to work with me, but I just couldn't, couldn't work with them for too long into the future. And so I started experimenting with different business models and, you know, different kinds of partnerships and referral networks and different types of things. And eventually I felt like, you know, I really had built up a network of people that trusted me. I was doing a lot of speaking engagements and and articles and things like that. And I just felt like if somebody trusted me and they were coming to me because they wanted to work with me and they trusted my advice and what I thought their book needed, um, that I didn't want to just keep sending them somewhere else. And so I thought, well, um, I actually really am getting a little bit bored of 
the work itself. You know, I had been editing and ghostwriting and doing all this stuff for years and years and years. I wanted to try something new. And I thought, well, building a business is a whole new challenge. Yeah. Um, and I really, and I, and I liked it. I really liked the idea of learning about marketing and building systems and, you know, SOPs and things that many people find really unsexy. <laughs> like I, I find really cool. Um, and I, I met more and more professionals who felt the opposite. You know, they were very talented editors, very talented copywriters, um, but they hated the business stuff. They hated the marketing. They hated organizing themselves. They hated, you know, following up to get endorsements and things like that. Um, so I decided to, to build a team to replicate myself, uh, as they say, to clone myself. And I started partnering in, and bringing in um, these other editors so that when we had a client, we could serve them regardless of what they needed. If they were interested in traditional publishing, we would be able to help them edit their manuscript, their book proposal, query letter. If they decided to self-publish, we would be able to continue you know, through a production process, copy editing and cover design and layout and proofreading and all that good stuff. So um, we, I've been doing that for about, uh, about, six, about six years now. Nice. Wow. Okay. That really does sound very exciting to me as somebody who is um, similar, but different. You know, I, I always assumed that I would go to business school and, you know, I was like, oh, should I go to, should I go to someplace like Harvard or something? And, you know, then you're a sophomore and a junior in high school and you're looking at all the, all the places and everything, everything seems possible to you, you know, cause you're 16. <laughs> Right. <laughs> and I was like, oh, well, apparently, according to the literature, Harvard is where you go if you want to be CEO of like a Fortune 500 company. But Wharton is where you go if you want to create a Fortune 500 company. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's so funny. I've never heard that, but that's so true. <laughs> yeah. So I went to the Wharton School of Business my first year of college because I was like, I'm going to create my own company someday and had really no doubt that it would happen and it did but not at all you know in the Wharton Business School sort of way yeah. more more yeah, like I you I mean all of us I think um all the writers who are listening who are realizing I just realized I've started a business but because I'm going to be publishing more than one book you sort of fall into things because you start doing something that you like and then it just keeps growing right yeah, I think that that's very true. And I mean, it's it's probably very different for people who are, you know, young and just sort of emerging into the work landscape now than it was for us. <laughs> um, but, you know, I don't think that that any of us generally were aware that these kinds of opportunities existed or, or maybe they didn't even really exist yeah. in, in such quantity then. I mean, the Internet existed, but it wasn't it wasn't the Internet, you yeah. know, the way that it is now. Um, yeah, I mean, I. I I was definitely one of those very annoying people who grew up and got her dream job. You know, I, I always wanted to work in book publishing. I always wanted to work with authors. I always wanted to write. Um, but I definitely, I definitely never imagined that that would be something I could do on my own. Yeah. Um, or, I mean, the writing part, yes, but not the, you know, editing and, and yes. making books. Yeah. And uh, the idea of, of doing all of that online, especially uh, yeah. is something I don't think ever really crossed my mind when I was young. And I would imagine every once in a while you hear somebody else read your bio out loud like we just did. And you're like, wow, that's me. Wow. <laughs> it's so true. Every time, every time I say I've been in the book publishing industry for more than 20 years, I'm like, Jesus, really? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I can't write. How can that be right? <laughs> yeah. It's just, it's just crazy. But um, yeah, but it's been, 
I've, I've really led a blessed existence work-wise. I've gotten to do so many things and work with so many amazing people and, and, and do what I love. I mean, different iterations of it, you know, now I'm not the one who's editing. I'm creating group programs and working with authors on book marketing, but I'm still, you know, I'm still the person that helps make that happen, right? That helps pair them with the right editor and get their cover done and, you know, all of that. And then there's a book at the end of it and (laughs) you've helped change, you know, you've not only helped change that author's life because they're so happy that this, this thing they've been pouring their blood, sweat and tears into is manifested into a physical product, but then that book goes on to touch other people. And you were a part of that. I mean, what's cooler than that? I know, right? It is wonderful. Well, and we're going to take advantage of the coolness and the 20 years. <laughs> so we're going to, uh, we're going to segue into, uh, you have probably heard just about every different kind of story about how a book was written. I wrote, I wrote this book two weeks ago and now it's done. I wrote this book over the last 15 years and now it's done, you know? So, um, so you've seen a whole lot of different kinds of problems that probably over time kind of coalesce into groups of very very similar problems. So feel free to really start wherever you want, but let's look at it from the perspective of, you know, feel free to um, organize in your head however you want. We've got some people listening who are still writing their first book. Other people listening have already had 40 books published, but you know, every book is still a brand new blank page. So there's a certain amount of similarity and I got to do it again. So, so tell us about what your thoughts and experiences are around the, um, I'm getting through my rough draft and then what do I do as far as editing, self-editing or sending things to an editor? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so let, let's talk a little bit about Nano since you mentioned, you know, NaNoWriMo and, and probably there are a lot of people who are coming off the heels of that, or maybe even just right. wondering about it, thinking about doing it next time. Um, I have done Nano myself a few times. Um, I've only one once, I think, when you win a nano, right? You you write fifty thousand words at least. You hit right, that mark, right? Um, I I think it's a wonderful, wonderful event, and I highly encourage people to try it. It's it's fun, um, and especially if you're like me and you have a very very robust inner editor <laughs> who's constantly uh, trying to comment on what's coming out. Um, and if that freezes you, if that if that causes you problems in, in trying to create, Nano is awesome because you have no time to self-critique or self-edit. It's yeah. purely get the words down on the page as fast as you can so that you can hit the word count and keep up and win at the end of the month. And that process um, really enables you to turn off that part of your brain and and really create something beautiful and messy. Um, and I think as, as many of you listening probably have experienced, that's what creation is, right? It's not a fully formed, beautiful book that just needs like a spell check emerging from <laughs> your head. It's, it's not, it's scenes and it's character sketches and it's dialogue and it's notes to yourself. And it's, you know, it, it's a mess. It's a mess. Yeah. Um, so Nano sort of lights the fire under your butt and gives you a, a, a creates a container and a space for, for that, which is wonderful. So, so what do you do when you get to the end of it, whether you've done nano or you just created it on your own, you know, you have this draft now um, and what the hell do you do next? And I always tell people uh, that the very first thing I strongly recommend anybody do when they have finished writing a draft, which I think sounds counterintuitive to a lot is to stop writing and put the damn thing away. Yeah. Um, you know, put it really like put it away. Uh, 
I don't think there's any magic number. I think you have to experiment with what works best for you. Um, but I recommend at least a week, at least, especially if you're, if you're a new writer, for sure, um, a full week, put that sucker away. Don't, don't look at it. Don't think about it. If you can help it, don't talk about it. Like pretend it doesn't exist because what you're trying to do is to give yourself the space to have what we call fresh eyes, right? Like you've been, you know, you, you've been nose deep in whatever it is you've been working on, whether it's the last 30 days for Nano or the last, you know, 30 months or the last, you know, 15 years, however long it's been, you've been, you know, up to here with that material. And before you can effectively go back and start to see the things that need to be done and understand the work that you, that you're going to need to do to, to finish that book, really, um, you need to get that perspective. You need to get a little bit of, of that fresh eye, that objectivity. And the best way to do it is to create some space. So put it away, walk away, give it a week, and then come back. And first of all, I promise you that you will be shocked at how different it feels reading a draft that you have not looked at or thought about for at least a week. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, so that's, that's really where I would start. And then the second really important thing that I think you want to do with a draft, especially a nano draft, which is messier than most, <laughs> yeah. um, is what you want to take stock of what you have. So I always encourage people now that you've come back to it freshly um, you know, get out your favorite, like whatever note taking method. If you like to write in longhand, if you prefer to use, you know, like Microsoft Word's comments feature, whatever you want to do, read the thing through start to finish. Just read it. Don't, you know, don't start rewriting yet. Don't start judging yourself. Don't worry about the commas, you know, just, just read it and make notes to yourself as you go. So what you'll start to notice now that you're, you're, you know, have a little bit of distance, hopefully you're coming back and you're reading it. Um, you're not looking for the little nitpicky things. A lot of authors, especially new authors, will get really stuck at this point because they think that revision or editing is like fiddling with spelling or changing a word here or there or, you know, um, messing with the punctuation line editing. And that's important. That's absolutely important. But that's very much end stage stuff. In the beginning, what you're really dealing with are the big picture issues, right? So if it's a novel, you're looking for things like making sure um, that your plot has a clear sense of progression and that there's one main plot. Yeah. Right? You might have subplots. <laughs> um, but, you know, if you're reading this draft and it doesn't make sense because you have no idea what this story is, that's a problem. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. That's a big picture. Um, <laughs> You know, if you have characters coming in and out of the story that disappear, if you realize you started going down a certain path for a subplot and then like just never finished, like just <laughs> left it there, just never finished. Yeah. Um, those are the kinds of notes. Those are the things you're looking for. You want to make notes to yourself like, oh, I, I, I thought I was going over here, but I decided it didn't make sense. So we're going to have to write this part out. Or, oh, you know what? I still think that's a great idea, but I kind of dropped it. Let's see if I can, you know, work that subplot back in. Whatever it is, make all those notes. If it's nonfiction, you know, it's not going to be about plot and character. It's going to be about things like um, the, the structure of your process or system. You know, are all the important key points that you're taking your reader through their process of transformation, are all of those present? Are they logical? Are they in the right order? Um, you know, you might look for places where uh, a story 
or uh, an exercise might be a useful way to get your point across, a complex idea across, something like that. So um, I recommend that you, you know, take the time, read it all the way through, make all those notes, and that way you can really see what you have. Yeah. You know, really, really look at your material, see what it's trying to be. Um, and again, especially when you're doing something like nano, where the, the, the key is speed, you're just writing, 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 writing. Sometimes we start nano, you don't even know what you're writing. Like some people come to the table with an outline and a plan. Some people just jump in on November 1st and go. Yeah. Um, you know, so it's it's good to take a take a beat and see what actually came out, and then like think about what it is you want it to be now. You know, um, Nano's over. You don't have anybody to please but yourself. What is this book trying to be? What have you actually written? Don't worry about what you were trying to write. So yeah, much, yeah. Right? What did you actually write? So um, if you and got, what do you like uh, about? Yeah, yeah. So if you've got six chapters, it's total uh, murder mystery. And then uh, she meets the guy and then it becomes more and more and more love story for another 10 chapters. Then you need to right. understand what you're what you're looking at here and ask yourself, do I really want to write like a romantic suspense and combine these two? Or is did one of them really not work? And I really wanted it to be the other one. And I didn't know that. Right. Exactly. Exactly true. Exactly true. Um, yeah. And, you know, and it's, I think it's good to, I think it's good to look at what you're working on in the context also of what you read. Um, oftentimes we tend, especially new writers will write in the genres and the categories that they read a lot. You know, people who read a lot of self-help often feel compelled to turn in an experience that they've had into a self-help book. People who, um, you know, love to read murder mysteries often write murder mysteries. So, you know, don't, don't be embarrassed by that. Like if you thought you wanted to be ambitious and write a literary novel and you ended up writing something that's more like a romance novel, like, but you like romance and that's fine. Right. Nobody's judging you. Write what you want to write. Yeah. Um, but, but be conscious of what you want to write. You know, the writing process and the revising process are very distinct. And now that you've written it, now that you've drafted it, um, in some sense, this, you know, perhaps is not welcome news, but in some sense, this is the hard part. <laughs> yeah. Writing was the hard part. Uh, and certainly it, it can be very difficult to, to write a draft. But what's that saying? It's um, Einstein's famous saying something about it being like 2% inspiration and 98% perspiration or something like that. <laughs> yeah. Um, applies, applies to writing a book uh, just as much as anything else. So you've, you've written it, you've got it all down. And, and now it's time to take that clay, take that raw material and turn it into something. So then um, the third step I would recommend that people take is if you did not start with an outline, I strongly recommend creating one at this point. Um, and the point of creating it now, even if you didn't write with one in the first place, is because we're looking to get clarity on the skeleton of the book, the structure, right? So if you imagine that your draft uh, is all the raw material, that gets hung on the skeleton, you wanna have a really clear sense um, of what that skeleton looks like so that you know where everything best fits or doesn't fit yeah, yeah. as the case may be. Um, so you know, if you have an outline, I recommend that you look at your outline, look at what you've written and adjust one or both. You know, Sometimes again, like you start with a certain idea and, and you're 
inspiration just takes you somewhere else and that's cool. So, you know, adjust your outline to suit what you've written, if that's the case, or if you didn't have one at all and, and you're just looking at this kind of disaster, you'll start to get a much better handle on the elements of your story and the progression of your character arcs and all of these different things. If you have that outline and you are clear about where all the pieces are going to fit. Um, and, and I would definitely say for those of you listening who are super new, um, if I'm talking about things like uh, patterns of conflict and resolution and, you know, Freytag's triangle and where your climax should be and what your, you know, denouement should look like and how to write an engaging opening. And I'm talking about all of these things and this is all Greek to you. Uh, I also strongly recommend that you pick up at least one book on basic story structure. Um, we as humans have a really strong innate sense of story and stories are all around us in many forms all the time. But there, there are elements, you know, I, I don't necessarily like to use the word formula because I think people unfairly associate that with negative things like something is formulaic, yeah. right? It's not good because it's formulaic. Um, but the truth is that all good stories, um, and in nonfiction, it's it's more of a, a transformative journey. It's a, you know it's not a narrative. It's a little different. But all good stories have certain elements in common that make them appealing to humans. <laughs> yeah. That make them work. Right. Um, doesn't matter what kind of story it is. All stories have these very basic elements. So if you've just purely written from a place of creativity and you've just let it flow and you let it come out, that's awesome. That is a great way to start. If that works for you, if that's part of your process, cool. But now it's time to learn how those pieces fit together for other people. Right. <laughs> you want other people to read it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, because um, as much as the journey of writing is beautiful and just um, like on the inside of you, so much is happening. If your goal is to have other people read it, then at some point you need to have pivoted enough that you're like, my goal is now to take what was all about what I wanted to say and make sure that it um, reaches other people at the place where I'm trying to reach them. That's, that is so well put. Yes, that is exactly right. Absolutely. And, and that shift can be really hard. So, you know, respect that, respect that it's very much like taking off one hat and putting on another. And um, I mean, and we're not even talking about publishing, right? Whether or not you're going into a literal business and creating, you know, your own company and publishing your own books or not. Um, just the difference between being that craftsperson, that artist who's creating it, and then shifting, you're still sort of in the craftsman mode when you're revising, but you start to get a little more business oriented too, because as you mentioned, you, it's time to start thinking about what category does my book fit into? Yeah. What do readers of that category expect? You know, um, I don't care how groundbreaking you think you are. If you try to sell a romance novel where the two leads don't end up together in the end, you failed. No one's going to buy that book. Yeah. <laughs> not as a romance. Romance reader, not as a romance. Romance readers are going to be really, really pissed off if they get to the end of a romance and one of the characters dies. That is no longer a romance novel. <laughs> yeah, which is why you, you need to know that. 
Yes, yes. Which is why if you didn't know who Nicholas Sparks was until you read his first book or watched the first movie, you were shocked and appalled when one of the two characters died. And you're like, but you can't have a romance where someone dies. And then he gets interviewed and he's like, I never said I was writing a romance. <laughs> right. A big difference between books that have romantic elements and a romance novel. Right, right. Okay, so let's just do a quick recap. So finish your first draft and then put it aside for at least a week. Then uh, read it either on paper or on your screen and take notes and just read it and take notes. Don't try to change anything. And then uh, number three was now look at the manuscript and all of your notes and try to formulate an outline of what you think now that the story really is that you're trying to write. Yeah. And make sure that you also understand uh, either in fiction or nonfiction, the structure of the kind of book that you're writing. And if that means going in and finding a book and buying it and reading it so that you know what to do next, then make sure you do that. Yeah. Yeah. Now's the time to get technical, right? So it's, it's adding that layer of being a technician on top of being uh, purely artistic. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So now um, people are going to be thinking, so now do I send it to an editor or is there more? Well, I mean, it's a little different for everyone. If you are, uh, you know, as you mentioned, some people maybe have published 40 books already. If that's you, um, your draft is probably much more advanced than someone who's just writing their first book. Your cat Excuse me for busy. that noise. Uh, <laughs> my cat has just found a ball. I enjoy the working from home. Um, so, uh, so yeah, you you want to... You want to take that time, you have that draft, figure out what it is that you're writing. And now it's time to make it the very best you can make it. So you could send it to an editor at this point, right? Um, when I get drafts that are what I call uh, raw material, so some, you know, let's, let's very, very loosely defined stages. We have the raw material, we have a rough draft, then we have what I would call a true first draft and then multiple revisions till you get to your final draft. Okay. So you get to the end of Nano, that's a great example of raw material, okay. right? Half of it doesn't make sense. You wrote it super fast, <laughs> it's bits and pieces. It's, you know, a half a page of all work and no play makes Jack a dull boy. Like it's just <laughs> raw material. The rough draft is after you write that outline and you have a, a better handle on how to start pulling this together and where the holes are and, and all of that, once you have something that certainly is far from finished and perfect, but that is at least cohesive, now you have your first rough draft. It's complete, right? It's all there. It's no longer a pastiche of yeah. scenes. It's, it's a story or it's, you know, it's not, it's a self-help guide or whatever it is. Um, so once you have a rough draft, you definitely could send it to an editor. When I get drafts like that though, I generally try to encourage the author to either um, do some more work on it themselves or participate in some kind of group feedback. So I'm a huge fan of critique groups um, or even one good critique partner. So another writer, right? Not your spouse, yeah. not somebody who's <laughs> legally obligated to be nice to you. Uh, you know, someone else who, who writes and hopefully ideally someone else who writes something similar to what you're writing. 
yeah. you know, something in, in the same category or, or at least both fiction or both nonfiction, you know? Yeah. I, um, I was in, I just want to mention uh, the, the reason why it's that part is important. I one time um, got together with a bunch of people where I live here. Uh, as far as we knew, we were the only writers that we, we knew of. So we all got together, we all wrote different things and we were all like, well, okay, that, that'll probably work out. But um, during one of the sessions where they were critiquing some chiclet that I had written, <laughs> The um, the one person uh, gave me all of her feedback, which didn't make any sense at all to me, and then ended with never actually read Chiclet. So I'm hoping that's helpful. And I'm thinking, right. I love you guys, but I'm never going to do this again. <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. Exactly. <laughs> A good critique partner can be helpful no matter what, but the best results are going to be with somebody who actually is reading and writing in your category. Um, and, and the reason I mentioned that on a rough draft is because an editor, think of an editor as somebody helping you to take your book up a level. So if you come to an editor with a D manuscript, they might be able to help you get it to a C, maybe a B, right? But if you can come to them with a C or a B manuscript, they can help you get it to that A or A plus, right, in, in fewer rounds. And especially when we're talking about working with a freelance editor where you're paying out of pocket, every one of those rounds is going to cost you more money. Yeah. Um, so there's also a financial component, right? You, like it's, it's, it's both practical from the perspective of doing the work um, and giving the editor more to work with, you know, you don't want them to be distracted by the fact that you have subplots that don't go anywhere and characters who disappear and things that don't make sense. That's not what you want your editor to focus on. You want your editor to focus on, oh, okay, the plot and the subplots are clear. But, you know, if we refine this subplot a little bit more, it will really resonate and support this part of the plot in a really beautiful, you know, beautiful way that makes this theme really, really strong throughout the story. Or... Um, you know what, I can see how you've got this character going through this, you know, this particular arc of development. Um, but if we, if we took out this part of it and emphasize this part of it, well, now all of a sudden this character really feels multidimensional and interesting and authentic. And now we're really rooting for her, right? You want them to, to dig deep into how to make the story sing, not get distracted because they can't figure out what you're trying to say. Yeah. Um, so yes, you could hire an editor. I generally recommend that you wait and use those other resources first. Do as much as you can on your own, then start to get objective feedback from some people that you can trust and rely on, such as a critique group or a critique partner, other writers, a workshop scenario, something like that. And when you've gone through that, when you've gotten that feedback, when you, when you feel like you have made it as good as you can, either you can still see the holes, but you don't know how to fix them, you have some haunting sense of like, it's good, but it's not as great as I can sort of see in my mind's eye, right? You have this vision for it being this kind of book. Maybe you're not quite there yet. Um, you know, that's when you want to hire someone. You've, you've done everything you possibly can. You're, you're just left fiddling with, you know, word choice, right? You're not dealing with the big picture stuff anymore. That's when it's time to hire an editor. 
Excellent. Excellent. Okay. Now, um, not that we're necessarily pitching you, but we're not not pitching you. <laughs> I think everybody who's going to be on the show in December uh, has something that they have a business for writers. And that is why you are on the show, because you know that of which you speak. <laughs> you understand the kind of help that um, people need at the various stages. So, you are someone like you. Let's say someone's like, okay, how do I find the right person for me? Because we've all heard the stories and I'm sure you being on the, the other side of the desk as well, um, to be the editor who found the authors that you love to work with or to be the author who found sure. the editor that you love to work with, like seems to be such a gift. And and then when you hear some people's stories, um, it's a gift that doesn't happen all that often. So how do you find the right editor then who will um, help you be able to take your book um like sometimes so i've got uh eight titles out and sometimes i'm thinking i just want to be better than i am now like i write really good books but i want to write amazing books but i'm sure that once i write amazing books i'll be like i want to write outstanding books uh so so yeah. how do you find the person who is um who's kind of gonna see what you're trying to do, even if you're not even really sure. Sometimes that seems to be like the oh, experience of the perfect author editor relationship. What, what's your, what's your experience? You've been on both sides of the desk. What do you think? Yeah. Um, I mean, a really good collaborative relationship between a writer and an editor is, is like magic. Absolutely. And, and as a writer, you know, I've done uh, ghostwriting, um, worked on, you know, my own short projects, article projects, things like that. I've worked with a variety of editors. And when you have somebody who makes your work better, it's, it's so fulfilling and so exciting, right, to be shown something you didn't even see. Yeah. Um, and, I, you know, speaking as a professional, I can say, too, you know, even professionals need editors, right? Like, the best writers in the world, you will still find them singing the praises of their editors and the acknowledgments or in interviews for a very good reason. Um, and in part, it's because the human brain simply can't be fully objective about the things it creates. Yeah. You know, you created something and you can learn to be more objective. I mean, that is a skill set of a professional editor. Of course, it is something I learned to be objective. Um, but even I can't be perfectly objective about my own work. And yeah. I, I will never have purely fresh eyes because I made it. Yeah. And, so, and yeah, having, to be clear, we're talking about, you might think your work is better than it is, or you might think it's worse than it is. Totally. Yeah. Totally. Both ways. Absolutely true. There might be something that you weren't so sure about. Um, you weren't sure it was coming across clearly enough. You know, one very common thing that we see with a lot of new authors um, is there, there will be a lot of redundancy or they'll almost, you know, beat a dead horse because they, they are trying to accomplish something sophisticated and they have insecurity about whether or not it's coming across, whether or not the reader's going to get it. Yeah. Right. Um, so they overdo it because they're afraid that the reader's not going to get it. And the editor says, no, 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 trim this, trim this, trim this, you know, it's perfect. Yeah. Um, that can absolutely be very gratifying, uh, gratifying as well. You know, and certainly, certainly we want to know, what we're doing wrong or where we have weaknesses so that we can do better. But, um, you know, it, it's actually a part of our philosophy with the writer's ally, I think is very important. And I always tell potential clients this, that we also want to encourage writers by showing them where their natural strengths lie. I think we all have sort of innate talents um, or practice talents where 
you know, maybe somebody just has a flair for dialogue or they have a really good instinct for where to start a scene or something like that. Um, you know, it's really important for an author to know what those things are as well so that they can do more of the things they're naturally good at while yeah. they're working on the things they're not so good at. So yeah, an, an editor can and, and should do both of those things. So how do you find this person? Gosh, um, I think I think one of the things that's very, very important that people understand is that there are different kinds of editors. Um, many times authors hear, well, you need an editor. And so they just go off in search of an editor and then they hire an editor. And then what they get back is basically correction of, let's say, uh, punctuation and grammar. And they think, oh, I hired an editor. I edited my book. My book is done. Well, what they don't realize is what they hired was a copy editor, right? A copy editor works on the technical level. So a copy editor is going to certainly grammar, punctuation, spelling, basic issues of clarity and consistency throughout the book. Um, and, and while good copy editors often have the experience, you know, they're, they're smart people, certainly they're capable of saying, hey, this plot point doesn't make sense, you know, or, or hey, like you're explaining this thing and I don't really understand what you're explaining. Um, they generally aren't commenting on those things. It's not what a copy editor does because a copy editor is usually the last stage of an editorial process before you go into design and production. They're not developmental editors. Developmental editors work on those big picture type stuff that I was talking about earlier. They're looking at the plot, the narrative, the themes, the character development. For nonfiction, they're looking at you know, the promise of the book, how well it's speaking to the target audience, how well you're taking the reader through their journey. You know, are, are they getting wins along the way, that kind of thing. Um, so if you go out and you hire a copy editor and you don't get that developmental help, what you're going to end up with is a very technically polished and correct manuscript, perhaps of a lousy book. It could happen, right? <laughs> it could happen. Um, and I, I have met, sadly, many, many, many authors over the years who have made that very mistake. They, they wanted the developmental feedback and they didn't understand that the person they were hiring wasn't capable of giving it to them. And, they, or, and or that just wasn't what they were paying for. And then when they finally realized it, you know, it's a waste of money. They've thrown out, they've thrown out a couple thousand dollars maybe on getting this edit that really didn't need to happen yet, that didn't give them what they needed. Um, and that ultimately isn't helpful because if you end up rewriting a manuscript, what good was all of that correcting? Yeah. Yeah. Cause now you've rewritten those perfectly technically correct areas. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So I think it's really important to understand what kind of editing you're looking for, what kind of editor you're looking for so that you can make sure the person you're talking to or considering um, has the right kind of experience for what it is that you want. And that sort of plays into the second piece that I think is a, a really important thing for people to understand if they're looking to hire a freelance editor um, is that experience really matters. So you talked about, you know, having that person who's going to help you take a, a good book and make it a great book, you know, making an outstanding book, take it to that next level, see the things that you don't see, right? Yeah. Um, that comes from experience. That comes from reading and editing many, many, many books in a category um, and also outside of a category, you know, as we talked about, there are certain shared elements. If you are hiring somebody who used to be a newspaper copy editor, unfortunately, there are many such folk uh, who were turned loose in the last 
five to 10 years as newspapers have shrunk. Um, You know, if if you used to be, if if you're hiring someone and their background is that they were a newspaper copy editor, they may not be able to give you the kind of feedback you need to make that good book a great book. They might be capable because they are sharp, smart people of making a rough book into a decent book. But if you want that extra layer, if you want that person who's going to really find those you know, find those opportunities in your draft and see you as a writer and see what you're capable of and help you get there. You need someone who has experience in your category. So you want someone who's done developmental editing, who's, you know, worked with whatever your type of book is. You know, similarly, if you're writing mystery thriller, you need someone who understands the structure of a mystery thriller, who knows how to put together who done it, who can drop clues and deal with red herrings and, you know, who understands how all of that works, right. um, what those audience expectations are. You don't want a science editor to help you with your mystery thriller novel. You know, you don't want a romance editor necessarily to help you with your weight loss book. These books are different. The audiences have different expectations. The genres have different requirements. Yeah. Um, and, you know, again, uh, there are, you know, it's not to say that somebody may not have talent as an editor or may not be a very smart person with a sharp eye. They may be able to tell you a lot of things that are very helpful, um, but everything is, everything is proportional. And if they don't have the right kind of experience because you didn't understand what you were really looking for, you might hopefully have a good experience, but more likely than not, you're going to be in that latter category of, of all these poor folks that we constantly hear these stories about where yeah. they're upset because, you know, their expectations and what they received were not in alignment. And I often feel like it's easier to understand um, if you if you draw a parallel. So for instance, I am known in circles far and wide to be the world's worst cook. I'm terrible. I am just terrible in the kitchen. It's it's shocking when I make something that turns out, I have to take a picture of it and send it to my husband. And then he says, who are you and where's my wife? You know, <laughs> but I can make you think about maybe that you should cry after eating something I baked because I'm very, very good at that. So just like if somebody came to me and asked for some advice on cooking, I might be great at baking and it seems like it would be the same thing and it's totally not. And I don't, I can, I can try and I might be able to make you better by virtue of, I don't know, understanding how to read a recipe. And that might be the extent of what I can do to help you cook. Because if you had come to me for baking, that would have been a totally different thing that I could absolutely help you with. And that's kind of, um, I'm always looking for analogies. So if people can like start to see a picture in their mind of this is what we mean. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's a great analogy. Absolutely. Somebody, somebody can be a extremely talented at a particular type of editing or a particular type of book. Um, doesn't mean they totally suck at the other thing, but they're, they're not going to be as good. Um, you know, and then that factors into things like price, right? Like it might be fine. You know, if you have a smaller budget and you're working with somebody who's less experienced, but who seems to really get what you're trying to do, maybe they've read a little bit of the book and you're having a conversation about it and, um, or maybe they've worked with a friend of yours and, and you just feel really confident about it. And, and if the price is reasonable, if it's if it's proportional, right, the price is commensurate with experience and that fits for your budget, um, that's not to say you shouldn't do it, but, you know, to be aware, to be yeah. aware of the choices that you're making yeah. and know what to expect. 
Excellent. Well, this is brilliant. And now we have gone beyond the time that you told me it would be great if you could be done so you can get back to some other work. Uh, is there any last things that you want to add? I, I don't want to have stopped you in the middle of a thought, but um, I think we've done a oh, pretty good gosh. job. No, I think we have done a pretty good job. I think one last thing I would say about finding a good editor um, is this is where it starts to become, you know, a little, uh, to, we'll call it self-helpy, right? You You have to start to be really honest with yourself about who you are as a writer and as a person. It can be extremely terrifying to take something that you've created that's very personal to you, especially if it's, say, a memoir or an autobiographical novel, um, and, and to show that to someone else. And not just to show it to someone else, but to show it to someone else with the express purpose of having them tear it apart, right? And like tell you all the things that aren't great about it. Um, That's very scary and it can be really hard. And again, even as a professional, I will tell you when I have gotten material back from editors um, and even though it's, you know, I'm at a certain level at this point, I'm not getting certain kinds of comments, right? It's it's constructive, but it's certainly um, the work is there. But even still, when somebody doesn't get what you are trying to do or thinks something that you did doesn't work or whatever it is, they're giving you commentary. Even professionals, we have that, that initial response, right? You get defensive and you get upset and they're like, they think it sucks. You yes. know, like it's, it's the whole thing. Um, totally, normal to, totally normal to feel like that. But the difference between an amateur and a professional is being able to recognize that that's First of all, it's a perfectly human, normal, emotional response, but it's not truth. Yeah. Right. To be able to feel those feelings and then set them aside and say, okay, now what is this person saying? Are, are, you know, is this, is this something I really need to look at? Is this something I really need to fix? Is this perhaps debatable? Maybe I get on the phone and we talk through it and then they realize, oh, okay, now I do get it. Maybe if you just need this one change, it would be clearer or no, sorry, I really don't think that's working. And and let's, you know, get deeper into why it's not working. And then maybe I'm convinced (laughs) that that they were right. Um, you, You need to be able to put that aside. And in the process of looking for an editor, it's good if you can have some sense of how you like to take your medicine, so to speak. Um, you know, some editors will be very honest with you and they'll say, look, uh, I'm, I'm blunt. That's my style. I'm blunt and I'm critical. And if you, if you want someone to go in there and tear it up and, you know, tell you everything that needs to be fixed and to be really hard on you, because that's what you respond to, then I'm the right editor for you. Someone might say that that's not my style, but there are people who work that way. Yeah. Other editors, um, can be super, super encouraging in my opinion, sometimes there's a risk of being so encouraging that you're no longer being helpful enough. Yeah. You know, um, but, but if you're a new writer and this is the first time you've ever had someone critique your work and, you know, you're just very new to the whole process, maybe that's better for you. Maybe it's okay to have someone um, who's on this first round anyway, just going to be really encouraging and maybe they're not going to dig into things as much as you need, but you would do that balance round, you know, right. you do it a little bit. that's okay. <laughs> um, so it's good to know that about yourself so that when you're, when you're talking to editors, when you're, when you're interviewing people, you can ask about their style. If you look at a sample, you can sort of see, you know, how, how their approach is. Um, 
there are just as many styles of editing, I think, as there are of writing. So if you know a little bit more about what works well for you, then there's a better chance that you can find someone who's going to be a good fit for you. Excellent. That is great advice. That's perfect ending advice. (laughs) Well, listen, thank you so much. Um, Where can people find you and more about your company, The Writer's Ally, and resources that uh, you have made available to writers? Yeah, so um, our website is the best place to start, thewritersally.com. Uh, we have a free checklist right on the homepage, the nine, nine steps uh, to making sure your book is ready to publish, to make sure you are ready to publish. Um, so that's a free download you can sign up and get. And there's little, little free things. There's a blog, lots of articles. Um, and when you're ready, there's a contact form. So you can fill out the contact form. And that will get you into our system and you'll be invited to schedule a free phone consultation with me. I think it's really important to start the process uh, with a phone call so that we can talk about your goals and your experience and I can look at the project. Uh, We also have a free Facebook group called the Writers Allies. So, um, you know, if you're just just dipping your toe in, if your draft isn't finished yet, uh, you're not quite ready, uh, I would invite you to come and join us in that group. People are very friendly, lots of sharing of resources. Uh, people requesting uh, manuscript trades and beta reads and things like that. Um, So we would love to see you there in the meantime. Nice. Perfect. Because that's where you might be able to find someone who, like you were saying, um, you can become beta readers together. Like they write something similar to you. And so you can help each other. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Collaboration really is the name of the game. Writing is, I think it's a little bit of a misnomer that, you know, you, you write in solitude, but you, you revise and publish in community. Yeah. Yeah. And just to be clear, um, although we're talking to you, Allie, uh, the head of the company, you actually have several, uh, editors who work for you, who specialize in different ways and have different, um, uh, kind of editing personalities like you were describing. So when somebody calls and has a phone call with you, you're going to ask them a lot of questions and think about whether or not one of the people who work for you could really be a great match with this person. And if not, you'll be like, I I don't know. I don't think that any of my people, you know, could really help you with this genre. We're not familiar enough to help you. You would actually be able to say, "Mm, I don't think we can help you. Or I think that this person might be able to help you. Yeah, absolutely right. That's a big part of what I do on that call. Um, it's a big part of my role now is, is matchmaking. And my team, um, you know, so you can see many of the people I work with the most regularly are on the website. So you can learn a little bit about who those editors are. Okay. And then I have a slightly more expanded network beyond that. Um, but it's still a small group. We're talking about, you know, 10 to 15 people at any given time. So it's not some big database. I know everybody on the team. <laughs> I know them well. And when I speak to authors, that is absolutely one of the things I'm considering is who on the team would be a really good fit for this project and a really good match for this author. And, um, and absolutely, I mean, you know, the beauty of having a team is we have people who specialize in almost everything. But sure, it happens occasionally that somebody has a project that they just need something more specialized or it has a certain flavor that just isn't quite right for anybody on the team. Uh, and then, you know, I'm happy to make whatever recommendations I can. Awesome. That is awesome. Allie, this has been great. I hope people have been taking notes. You actually gave several, um, there was the four immediate steps and then several great steps after that. So everybody, if you're, you know, riding or driving, uh, I said, I said, you know, that's funny. My sister is a writer. She works with horses and I'm a writer. And in Michigan, we pronounce the word the same 
So she's a writer and I'm a writer. <laughs> so I meant to say, if you are riding, like riding your bicycle or something, <laughs> or walking or running, go home, take some notes. This is great stuff. Allie, thank you so much for taking the time. We really appreciate all the help. Absolutely my pleasure. And you know, you guys out there who are revising the that crazy nano draft, um, just hang in there, you know, embrace the journey. And this is a writing writing more than many other activities is absolutely that whole embrace the journey. It's not a destination thing. So have fun.